Ever think about drywall as a career? Yeah, me neither. But recently, I've begun my journey into mud and dust, as my friend Stefano calls it. For Stefano, who goes by the taper guy on Instagram, it was more of an imposed legacy than a choice. This is episode one of the Flat Butts podcast. And if you haven't figured it out, it's about drywall and telling the story of what it's like to be in the drywall industry from people who do it every day and the people connected to that industry. So if this isn't what you're looking for, I'm sorry to disappoint you. And if this is exactly what you're looking for, then I hope you enjoy this chat with Stefano the Taper Guy as much as I did. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll know that his account is part drywall taping, part food channel, and all good vibes. We talk about his own personal journey into mud and dust thanks to his father, what keeps him going in an industry that can be really stressful in times and have a lot of pressure, and he gives a little sprinkling of knowledge of what quality some people getting started in the industry should really focus on. But let's start at the beginning. It all started, well, there's someone to blame, and that it would be <laughs> my father, who was a taper as well, since the mid-70s. And when I was in elementary school, my weekends consisted of helping dad. This would be the age between 12 to 17. I would be helping dad in the weekends. And any other little pockets of holiday, I would help him out. So that's how I got introduced to it. Not voluntarily. It was <laughs> get in the van. We're going to do some nails. That's all you're going to do all day. Or you're going to sand, right? So it was brought to me by force. <laughs> Did he pay you for Of these? course he paid. But at that time, money wasn't that big of a deal. Partial Funds would have been fine, maybe 10, 20 bucks. And, you know, McDonald's for lunch, you know, at 12 years old, you're like, that's not bad. I got a lunch out of it and I got a few bucks, right? So I was forced. I think we were talking, your dad said to you, like, had I been a bricklayer, you would be a bricklayer. Yes, 100%. And he said, <laughs> aren't you glad that I'm not a roofer, a bricklayer? Because if you're a roofer, you would have been, been I don't know, poor thing. You know, I would have been crippled. Who knows? I mean, I'm one of the clumsiest tapers out there. And I hope Minister of Labor is not listening because. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad was a precursor to child labor. A hundred percent. And we we're four boys. We we're four boys and I'm the oldest and all of us got a bit of taste of it. And half of us, too, <laughs> were smart enough not to pursue the mud and dust journey. <laughs> so there's another brother of mine who's. Number two, he's a full-on taper as well. Okay. So you would be kind of what I would classify as like a legacy taper, right? You're in it because your family was in it. And, and one of the things I taught at George Brown for a year, and I asked my class, like, how many of you are from construction families? And it was pretty crazy because I think something like 70% of the kids raised their hand to say, yeah, they, they had people in construction in their immediate family, in their household, not just you know, an aunt or an uncle or whatever. So when you started out, your dad had you doing what? Because I mean, at 12 or 13, you're not. <laughs> There's going to be an investigation. They're going to find my dad's name and they're going to do an investigation. What happened in the late 80s, early 90s? It's, it's more to talk about what are the initial skills that somebody's going to learn because it's going to be baby steps for anyone, whether they're 12 or they're 25, right? That is very true. Regardless of age, you got to start somewhere. And at that time, it was pretty much hauling 
boxes of material from one section to that section, bringing tape to that section to this section, having material that has been already mixed, bringing it to my father and his other uh, workers that he had at the moment, at the time. And then the point of me actually doing the taping would be the most basic thing is, is to spot the screws, the nails. That you can go wrong. <laughs> within reason. Okay. Within reason. And off you go. And it's daunting at first because my dad would do uh, what's called apartments, right? Massive apartments. And each floor would have 20 suites. And so I remember the first few days there, it goes, okay, you'll be doing all the screws. What do you mean? Like all of them? He goes, yeah, that's your job. Like, but it never ended, right? I mean, so spotting the nails, that was one of the first things. Also cleaning walls because, you know, in taping, it's a, things get a little sloppy. Plaster gets mud, gets splattered here and there. And I would go around and just clean the walls, right? So I'm imagining 12-year-old you staring down the hallway of this apartment building as he goes, all the rooms. All of them? And the camera just zooms in on my face. Right? And then I go, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Fuck this. <laughs> and you are. And here we are. So, yeah, that was the basics. Spotting nails. And then I think if I would have to teach someone, I would do the same. And so your progression, at what point did it go from you helping him on weekends and quote unquote holidays, which you clearly didn't have because you were taping. When did it move from something you helped him with to something you were doing as a job? As me going solo as a taper? Well, no, when you started working more doing full-time work and then eventually on your own as you are now. Right. So there was a bit of a gap after high school. I went to college for three and a half years. And then I found out that, you know what, whatever I choose, <laughs> what I chose in college would not pay me as much as the taping would have. Because I knew what, what was getting paid back then. And back then compared to now was shit, right? So, and I, the sad part is, the sad and good thing, I guess, during all those teenage years, I learned how to tape naturally. Because eventually, of course, the 12, 13-year-old doing nails got promoted to <laughs> start pre-filling joints. And off I went. You learn that. Hey, do another coat on the nails. Start applying the tape. Start corner being. So by the time, you know, 17, 18, 19, late teens, I knew how to tape. Even though I never realized I knew how to tape, right? So when I went to college and I finished college and I said, shit, finding a job now, it's kind of difficult. I took a bit of a mixed bag of things. I did marketing at Conestoga. And at that time, if you did not know what to do out of high school, the counselor would send you to business school or marketing. That's the new thing, right? Uh, or a computer program or the internet, which I have no patience sitting on, on a desk in front of a computer. So. so yeah, so I kind of balanced things out and I said, you know what? And me waiting for that opportunity to be in the marketing realm would have been difficult, but I knew I had that taping skill. So I jumped in, I think at 21, 2021, around there, I believe. And I went solo, started off. Oh, that early, yeah. right? Well, because you would have been doing it on and off. Like even in your summers in college, were you still taping? I was. Yeah. I needed that pocket money. 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, downtown Toronto is not cheap, so I needed that pocket money, and uh, I did do the taping during the weekends or even on days off, right? So hold on, let me get my numbers straight here. Sorry, age twenty-two, I went solo. Okay, so basically, for ten years, you would just pretty much been in a part-time taper learning the industry and all that. And then you decide I'm going to do this as a job because I have this skill. And I think that's something that's really undersold nowadays is you leave an education institution without an actual skill. You have lots of knowledge, but no skill. This is what we in the trades have is like, you can sell your skill repeatedly, right? So at 22, where did you start? What were you doing? What kind of jobs were you doing? Were you residential? Were you commercial? Were you union? Were you? Well, were you- I was fortunate enough that I guess I got grandfathered in in the union off the bat, right? And uh, I don't know if I should be saying it, but yeah. So <laughs> it's a little late now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Whatever. It happened a long time ago. So I didn't go through their union training program. I proved via certain channels that I was capable of doing taping at the level of a professional at that age. So here I am at the union. And I did find some some small companies. Since I lived at the time in in a small town up north, Arthur. I don't know if you know that place. I know where it is. I live right near you there. There you go. You should know that. I live in Guelph. Arthur's you're here all the time. <laughs> Come on, Arthur's up there. Okay. Anyway. Arthur. So I went looking around and I found a a job site in Orangeville at that time. And I asked around and I said, who's who's the drywall company? Buddy there in the pickup truck. Off I went. You need a taper? He goes, yeah, you taper? Yep. Union? Yep. I'm union. Okay. I got a basement for you. And for me, solo, a basement? Dude, golden opportunity. So I jumped in. I did small basements off the bat for this builder. Then they gave me small little townhouses. And bit by bit, I started getting confidence of getting bigger things and bigger things, right? So that's how it started, me going solo from from basement. Even though I do basements now, I'm going back to my roots, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, well, on your Instagram, you're doing everything, right? Like you're doing big custom houses, you're doing custom renovations, you're doing commercial jobs, you're doing basements, you know, interspersed with all the pictures of your lunches is some taping. But when you start working for the union, is it piecework? Is it hourly? How does all that come together? Yeah, there are two categories. You can go either or. You can go by the hour or you can go piecework. And I think that is determined by what kind of animal you are. Yeah, if you are in- Many people would describe people in drywall as animals. <laughs> Just to let you know. Uh, the nature of their- Yeah, that's 100%. That's a whole different show, I think. I'm going to keep those stories and you and I can tell those over lunch. <laughs> as a former contractor, dealing with drywall guys, animals. some of them are great. Not all of them are- Domesticated. Little rough on the edges. <laughs> That's one word. Yeah, sure. Sure. We'll go with that. But anyhow, let's okay, stay on track. A different, be- a different beast with a different hunger. If you're an individual who knows how to tape, I think it goes with any trade. If you're an individual who knows how to tape or whatever you do, and you like keeping things at a certain pace, dude, go by the hour, right? Go by the hour, get things done nicely, so on. Beautiful. If you're an individual who wants to move, who's itchy, 
who's hungry, who knows who can tackle not a house a week. I can do a house and a half a week, easy. Then go buy piecework, right? Well, the thing about piecework too is it, it rewards you for being good at your job. I'm sure you can attest to this. Over the years, you got better at your job, which means you got faster at it. And when you work by the hour, it's not rewarding you for that expertise. You are getting a certain amount of security when you work by the hour. Whereas by the piece, it's essentially, there is a fear that you're living job to job because you're chewing up so much work. But again, it does reward you for being good at your job. Yes, yes. It all depends what kind of taper you are. There, I've seen many butchers out there, shoemakers. <laughs> shoemakers, butchers. Okay, explain to me the shoemaker term. You mentioned this the other day. <laughs> Why shoemaker? A butcher, I get it. They cut things up. But the shoemaker, he fixes I don't things. know. I don't know I don't why. Understand this. I keep in mind, I was surrounded by old school Italians, Portuguese creations. And every time someone did a shitty job, they'll say, my friend, look at the house next door. A fucking shoemaker made it. A shoemaker. So it got stuck. A shoemaker. And you kind of picture that. I mean, he's got the hammer. He's got little nails and shit. He's just fucking... Okay, I, I understand. I understand the butcher. The butcher, I understand. You're just butchering. So anyway, you you get rewarded. That's the thing. That's a whole different category, a whole different question. You do get rewarded in a way of financial incentive of finishing jobs quicker. Piecework. That's the whole purpose of piecework. You want to go in there in it. The faster you get out, the more money you make. Now, if you're doing piecework, in a subdivision for your madamies and so on, for a big ass company, trust me, you're uh, many of the time, even me, you're not giving, you're not given the proper time frame to finish a project at a level that you would want. Do you know what I mean? Oh, okay. So the schedule is saying you have to be done by here. It's not saying it has to be a really good job and make sure it's a good job. It's like by Thursday, you're out. Thursday, you're out. Thursday. I got the painters coming to prime. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Thursday, they're coming. And here are rushing and so on, balancing finesse and shoemaker skills. And you give them that product, right? So, But you're also battling drying time. Drying time. Right? You're battling the elements. There's a lot of variables, a lot of pros and cons. And now I can do piecework away outside of the union, priced it the way that I want to, and give them the quality that I want, right? Which is what you're doing now, right? Yeah, and dictate the time frame that it needs a house to be properly done or a renovation to be properly done, right? So two different animals. You got your peace workers, union, attack, and then you have your private stuff, right? And we've talked a little bit just recently sort of about the money attached to that and how it rewards you. But I mean, if you go on your Instagram feed at the taper guy, at the underscore taper underscore guy for whoever's trying to find that. You're enjoying yourself. So there's got to be some part of this for you that's not just about the money, shall we say? Yes and no. <laughs> Obviously, Bill, I'll be honest with you. I got to be honest. With you. you do it for the money. Yeah. You do it for the money. But if I focused and I gave all my energy for the money, I'd be the most depressed person in the world. So therefore, 
I'm striving for that money. But while I'm going there for that, I'm enjoying the whole ride. Right, right. I mean, it is work. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's work. It's all how you perceive it and how you tackle it, right? I think of myself that if I did anything else but taping, I think I would have the same mentality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I'm in the process of working for a drywall contractor now. I'm just more of a logistics guy. I move things around. Like if a hallway, some board was missed or whatever, I help out, right? I'm I'm the fixer. I'm the filling in the gaps guy for the moment. And I've over the years developed I wouldn't call it a fetish, but an interest in drywall. And I mean, hence I'm doing a podcast about it. But it, it's very satisfying to an extent when the mud goes on the wall and you're using the trowel and everything. There's something so satisfying. I don't know if it's because I really like sugar and it reminds me of like icing or something. But there is the term in drywall when the boardmen show up, it's like, okay, make it white means get the board up, get the tape on. And as a contractor, I would literally shit my pants until drywall was done because there's such a demand for that skill and that type of work. For the drywall part or the taping part? Both. Okay. More so the taper these days for sure. But still, there's so much demand and you're just like held hostage in a sense by this crucial, crucial stage of make or break for your project because your schedule can go along tickety-boo up until board and then you can get a phone call from the drywall contractor going, hey, my boardmen are delayed three days. Or more often what happened was the board guys would be in and they'd be done and it's like, yeah, my taper's a week behind. I can't get anybody there. Because you're subject to the elements of drying and corner bead and all these things that are more dense and there's sort of like a negative side or, or a tougher side to the taping industry It's or being a taper is the pressure's on you on both ends, right? One, all the delays that have happened somehow, some way, I don't understand. There's people that have been in this business like 20 years. They think the taper's going to speed it up when everything has to dry. But at the same time, the taper is there to kind of make all the mistakes from prior look good, right? If the framing's wonky, if something's out, it's like, oh yeah, the taper, I'll fix that. Like, how's he going to do that? So you're kind of squished in this box. I mean, there are some positives, clearly. I mean, people do it. And I've kind of enjoyed it when I've done it. But there is a lot of pressure. And I think for me, that would prevent me from being a taper, which is a little bit weird. But it's like, Oh yeah, everything's on your shoulders because you got to make this look good. And then when we're done, when you're done and all the paints on the walls, we're going to come back and look at everything and tell you if it's good or not. It's like, yeah, oh. that is very common, uh, Bill. And I think a lot of the contractors still are at 50-50, not valu- valuing, I didn't say valuing, <laughs> valuing <laughs> the moment when the taper comes in. First of all, they think they can pick up any drywaller just get a job done. But a lot of the contractors, hey, dude, they're going to do it in three days a house at that price. Put them in there. Taper's going to fix it anyway. So you know what? It's a balancing act. Like you said, we get screwed on both ends. And at the end of the day, they want a certain quality. It's like, whoa, whoa. First of all, you gave me the canvas all ripped up. And here I am with a ripped up canvas that I got to fix up. 
right? So it's sad, but it's very true. Well, what were you saying about regarding the drywallers before I forget? There was this one project I did last year, and these guys are, I, I won't name the company, but these guys are very keen on being punctual. Beautiful. That's what a lot of the contractors should be very punctual. And they hired a drywall crew, great. And the poor drywall crew, they were delayed a couple of days and then they were delayed another couple more days. And they asked, hey, what's going on? Well, the thing is, one of our workers, his dog died. And people are scratching their heads going, how can, how can a, a crew of six guys delay the whole project a week because of a dog dying? Right. Drywall, like I said before, I would shit my pants because you can't go forward. If your plumber's delayed, you can move the electrician and the plumber around. Those phases you can move around. Or when you get to paint, like there's projects where you're like, okay, the painter's delayed. We could still do the floors. We'll cover the floors, whatever. Nothing moves forward without drywall being done. It's frozen. Exactly. So I think I'm fortunate enough now, after so many years, finding the right contractor that recognizes and that I've taught in a sense that I need a certain amount of time, right? To get the job done. You will eat a lot of shit. A new taper coming into this business will eat a lot of shit, which you should, because that would be the only way for you to adjust your game and be stronger on your feet and dictate the way you want to work. Because at first I ate a lot of shit and it went over me thinking that this is this is construction. Foreman coming into my house screaming at me, hey, part of construction. That's just the way it is. No, it's not. <laughs> you got to have some respect, right? Go out into the real world and watch how people talk to each other. And you're like, what? People are nice here. Nobody's dropped an F-bomb at me. And I've been here like 10 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but again, like, let's go back for a second. You're talking about you're going to eat a lot of shit. You work alone, right? Do a lot of tapers work alone? I say majority do, yes. So if you're coming up and you're 22 years old, aside from the crew when you are working for your dad, once you hit a certain point, it doesn't seem like there's any mentoring or training or professional development. It's like, go tape and get better on your own or don't. And that's got to be tough because I know from my own experience even 10 years in, even now, 17 years in, I learn new stuff all the time. Right, right. And things get that little bit better. Sure, you could take those big steps, right? When you're learning anything, you're going to go that first 80% really fast. And then the next 10% takes a little while. And that last 10% to be perfect, a lot of people never get to, right? Because man, 90%, it's good enough, right? And it's hard with no mentorship or leadership, right? That's a good point, Bill. I was fortunate enough that I did get a base, a foundation with my father of learning certain things, right? But going on my own, especially at that time in the early 2000s when there was no social media, right? It was very hard and rare to come across new tools, new techniques, because I'll tell you this, the taper that I am now to a taper that I was five years ago, I don't recognize them. To piggyback that on this project alone that I'm doing and you and I have been connected and the people that you have connected me to and that have been interested and involved, 
a lot of them are on social media. And it's amazing to me that community out there that's really just putting it all out there. You know uh, Phil from PRC Taping very well. He does a ton of stuff with Columbia Tools. Lydia Crowder at Drywall Shorty in the States. She's put out a course. She puts it all out there, right? Whereas there are some tapers who are kind of like, I don't want to share my techniques. I want to keep that to myself. She's blowing it all out, right? And sharing all of it. And it's been incredible to me to see that really intense sense of community in such a small area where people are really willing to help. And I'm grateful for what I'm doing right now that people are, but clearly social media has had a big impact on all of that. Right. Cause I mean, Lydia is in Montana. We're in Guelph or I'm in Guelph. Yeah, no, no, right. So definitely. And I think and I wouldn't deny it. That was a huge factor. Like I, I try to look back. Okay. I picked up the Festool, the Plainex Festool. Why? Because I saw it on Instagram. That led me to go and see it. That led me to reach out and talk to guys that were using it on Instagram. What do you think? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Worth it? Until I got convinced by, I don't know if you follow Drywall Nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I came across, uh, at the time, Nick. Nick was there for Drywall Nation and uh, Phil from PRC Taping. We were at Atlas Machinery. There was a big event maybe four or five years ago. And I got convinced, but I already did my homework via Instagram. All I needed was that little extra push from a couple other professional stuff. This is game changer. So if I wasn't introduced and saw that on Instagram, on social media, I would still be hand, I mean, pulsing like a donkey. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and what people can't tell right now is you're not very tall. So that's a lot of work for you, right? Like a lot of work. <laughs> Keep in mind, I got to go and still sometimes to properly sand if I do pole sanding. So it is a huge factor. So back in the day, yeah, it took the 80% like you were talking about. The 80% was the foundation with my dad. Boom, 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 boom. I went on my own. I guess what? By myself, I or seeing someone else on the job site. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's a new technique. That's your 10%. But the other 10%, it was social media really reached out. I mean, in a sense, because everybody was opening their arms and saying, hey, this is how I do it. This will improve your taping, which is great. And a lot of people, like you said, say, you know what? I'm not giving out my secrets. There's no fucking secret. It's taping. <laughs> you know what's missing here? Sorry, I've got to cut down on yeah, the F-bombs. Oh. oh, I'm sure there's really sensitive drywall guys who've never heard those before. Who knows who's going to watch <laughs> this, right? So what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, the secrets. Yeah, secrets. So a lot of guys are saying, oh, no. I remember one time I was rolling on the mud. Rolling on the mud and ceiling because I removed popcorn. I saw that on your feed. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. roll on the mud and I was skimming with certain blades and so on. And then a buddy of mine who's a taper goes, dude, why are you showing too much? You know it's going to put our value down. No, it's quite opposite. First of all, like for example, Gary V. I'm, I'm, I'm not like Gary V. No, nobody is. But I'm saying he opens up all his secrets. Guys, this is it. This is how... I did it. This is look at look at this. Now it's up to you to actually, yeah, you have to actually do it. Right? You have to do it. You gotta fucking do it. 
And a lot of the people, 99% of the people that are in the trades, whatever, guess what? They're hard-headed. First of all, we're, construction workers are hard-headed. When they have a system down packed, they don't want to move an inch or, no, this is the way to do it. I've been doing it for 20 years. No, Dude, there are better ways. Yeah. The other thing that's amazing it's about social media. <laughs> it's okay. No, you're just getting really close to the camera. So it's like. It's in, it shows intensity. This is your your what's it called your your icon whatever that you're gonna use for this. <laughs> your avatar. <laughs> when I make this yeah. thumbnail, yeah, so your this, thumbnail. That's it. Be... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I will actually. Don't tempt me. <laughs> but the other thing that's been amazing about the thing on Instagram is that's how you and I connected, and then it it can move from you messaging somebody and DMing to actually meeting, right? All these people that you've connected me with and that other people have connected me with through social media, we will talk on the phone. We have set up meetings. We're going to, you're humans, right? It is a real sense of community in that sense. And I'm so lucky to be taking advantage of that, shall we say. But it's, you're making a really good point, right? There's a certain amount of, I don't want to reduce my value, but clearly right now, like we, there's a stranglehold on the labor market, specifically in taping, right? There are not enough. There's so much work. And you said a lot of guys work on their own. So you and I are going to have a really weird moment right now. I want you to imagine that I'm younger and I have a full head of hair. You're talking to me. No, no, you have you to be have you right hair. now. I see the stubbles there, but you have it. It's not. It's not fully there. It's. It's. Yeah. It's a spattering. And I come to you and I say, "I want to be a taper. Where do I start? Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here! How dare you? No. <laughs> okay. How old are you? You're a teenager. Let's say I'm like. 18, 19. Like I'm just finishing high school. You have no experience. None. Zero. Zero. And you say you want to be a taper. I mean, you know what? There's people who've seen me tape who would say I probably have no experience right now. <laughs> so we came across that question. Phil and I, PRC, we were doing a live chat on Instagram one night. Oh, yeah. You were I on it. I saw it. I saw it. I was on it for a little bit. And did you bit. see that question from a guy from Detroit? Yes. yes. He said the same. He was a big fan. He was following Phil. Big fan. He goes, I love what you do. How do I get into taping. And then we answered it in that day. And I said, try to find somebody local that is a taper that is willing to tag along with you. You eventually got there. I actually turned off the feed. It took you so long to answer the question. So <laughs> you and Phil were having like a mandate over IG. So I was like, I got to go. <laughs> I got no time for this. I got to put my kids to bed. This guy's, you guys are taking too long. Okay, but anyhow, yeah. so your suggestion is go find someone who's doing it. And reach out. But then do you hire people? Like, do you bring people on? I do. I do. But the thing is, I've never hired someone via Instagram saying, hey, I want to learn taping. Can I join you? But if anybody came to you, never mind IG, but just like anybody, somebody walks anybody, up to you at the hardware store. Yeah. But I have brought people with me to help me out that I've met personally, that I knew that they had potential, that they were hungry. And they said, hey, a couple of times I've offered saying, hey, listen, come with me for a couple of weeks. I'll show you a couple of things that would change your whole game, right? 
So it's very rare for me to actually bring somebody on because I'm a different beast in that sense that once I tape, I want to get shit done, right? It is hard to do, right? Because your income is reliant on this and investing in someone who knows nothing is very much a losing proposition in the beginning, right? You're, you're actually slowing down one and you're not producing as great a product as quickly. So you got to go back and fix what they did, what you're investing. So I think there's a big contradiction. I don't know if that's the right word in the industry where it's like, we want more young people, but we don't have a system in place to bring them in because everybody's their own company. And having run my own business, it's like, I was as a general contractor, I had a little bit more runway to have somebody every day to go look for six months. You're a negative to me. You're costing me money to teach you and you may flake out at some point and realize this isn't for you. And I've kind of flushed all that money in a sense. But I do believe that you can't grow without bringing other people in. But tapers, tapers are very isolated almost. It's, it's you know? a double-edged sword, it seems like. I think if I was able to bring on, I think I've been accustomed from the beginning. Okay, when I was helping dad, it's a different story. But when I went solo, I've been solo ever since. So I was able to cope with whatever scenario that it was brought to me. So I never justified bringing somebody else in. I would do projects that people walk in. It's like, where are the other guys? I go, no, it's just me. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> it didn't occur to me. But now as a 43-year-old, guess what? I'm pondering. I mean, from now till 50, I'm not 23 anymore. So I know that I'm going to actually hire somebody to do certain things, to go up and down a scaffold and bring this and that, right? But it all depends. For example, there's another taper that started out taping. He's got four or five years taping. At one point, he had a crew of six guys. He's just been taping for six years, five, six years, whatever. And he had a crew of six guys. Do you know what happened to him? A few years later, he's solo. Why? Because the headache, the training, the money at the end of the day was not worth it. He says, Steph, you know what? I made the same amount of money, sometimes less, and I was working alone, but that made sense to me. I woke up without a headache. I woke up not being concerned about my crew. Okay, what this guy's got to do, what this guy do, what this guy to do, before you start doing your own shit, right? So that's running a business and not being a taper, right? I mean, I did the same thing for renovations. You're running a business. You're not a carpenter or whatever it is. So that's a different aspect. Now, you were talking about you are contemplating hiring somebody. What are you looking for in that person? Because I have a question in my mind where I go, is drywall a skill, a talent, or an art? Because it's not something that everybody can do. And I notice, especially in some of the social media feeds of a lot of the people who are taping, they have a certain artistic component to their lives, to their personality, right? Whether it's music or art or food. I mean, Christy Slade, who was going to come on and do one of these, she's a chef. She was a chef by trade. Oh, and initially. okay. That's why right? she always comments on my food post. Look at that. Okay. I'm like, of course she's got to know you, right? Because <laughs> yours is just all food. So you're seeing, I mean, Brad Hanna, who I've talked to as well, he creates things and there's a part that's the aesthetic, even though it's just, oh, these are flat walls. 
there's a talent to it. You know, certain things are a skill and a skill is something you develop over time, but the talent, the eye for detail, which is such a catchphrase that I really hate because everybody's like, you need an eye for detail. I'm like, yeah, this is a different eye for detail because you're looking at like things infinitesimally small that are 20 feet away that an expert taper can go like, that sucks, you know? So what is it you're looking for from a skill standpoint, from an attitude standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint? Are there things that if somebody was going to come to you, do you have questions that you ask? How do you figure that out? I wouldn't have, well, I would just, it wouldn't be like an interview or it wouldn't be just straight out questions. I would just, just talk to the individual and personality. I think is going to, it's a big one. It is a big one. Being open, right? To, to different ideas because taping, you can tape a hundred different ways, right? You, you don't want an individual that is too square, right? And for some reason, tapers, people are starting off, they have a certain knack. Like you said, there's an artistic side of it. It's true. Almost all the tapers that I know are artistic in a sense. For example, Phil, he's a musician, right? You don't see many drywallers with an artistic flair. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I would look into more personality. I mean, you need that person. You got to be open because the process of taping, it's not a one day thing. It's on a one-day wave, right? I think the term you might be searching for is coachability, right? I think in my own experience, people who are athletic and artistic tend to excel more in the trades because they are used to, used to working with their hands, with their bodies. They think visually. And that idea of constantly working on something till it gets better, that idea of like being open to being coached, Essentially, because you're you're working on a skill, right? I grew up playing basketball and working on my jump shot. When I'm teaching somebody to run a circular saw, it's like, okay, you want to square your hips. You want to push with your elbow. You're not pushing with your wrists. And your hands are just trying to do what your eyes tell it. You know, I'm talking to them in that way. I'm not going, you're screwing it up. You're going too fast. You're going too slow. It's crooked. Like, no, they need that skill development. And now we're going back to the other side. It's like, how many guys are good or women? Because we're seeing more women in the trades. And I mean, that's a topic that I will cover eventually more and more because being a taper and being a woman, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive. They need someone to teach them and not everyone is a great teacher. No, that's true. Yeah. I think it's got to work both ways. There's got to be a, a perfect combination. A couple of years ago, I had a, a young Mexican kid that I helped out. He was eager. He wasn't that artistic, but he was eager, great personality. And the way that I am, I opened arms and I was trying to teach him as much as possible. Guess what? He was very coachable. He absorbed everything. He was willing to try new things and go with the flow, right? Now there's a lot of individuals that go in there and taping, they'll start off taping and they'll do something bad. They'll go the wrong way and they'll put themselves down off the bats. Like, dude, relax. You're not going to become a taper today. This is something that is going to take years, sadly years. You will develop certain levels of quality. Yeah. But it's a year's journey, right? Yeah. I mean, accepting failure. I liken it a lot because people who aren't in the trades don't really get it. Things are magnified in terms of mistakes to them. Oh my God, it's terrible. You're just like, think of your drywall like writing a report. A mistake gets made, 
It's just like a spelling mistake. You delete it. You fix. You do it again. It's it's not a big deal. Like, and we have to approach it from that sense and not be as personal to say, okay, how could this be better? Okay, how are we going to do that? You talk about attitude. I was always a firm believer when I was hiring people. I'm going to spend every day with this person for a long time. And if we're not compatible, we're not Microsoft. You don't have an HR department who's hiring people, who's doing interviews and all this stuff. It's you. And in construction, we're all little businesses. And I I don't know that everybody knows that. So you're hiring somebody who becomes essentially kind of a de facto family member because you're not meeting at the office. You're either meeting at your house or you're meeting on site. And if you're hiring a super young kid, they may not have a car. So you're going to get them or they're getting dropped off at your house or somewhere. It becomes very intimate and very like personal. intertwined with that individual, for sure. Yeah. And on that point, Bill, I, I think the reasons why for us tapers is difficult to actually to accept somebody else. It is because of that. As a taper, I'm a full-on taper. I do certain things in certain ways on each coat. Bring in somebody else, especially a new individual, even a person who's semi, semi-pro. There's going to be friction. Do you know what I mean? There's going to be friction. But that applies a lot in taping because we're dealing with taping everywhere in the house that has to take care. You got a prefer, you got to do one coat, two coats, three coats, skim, sand. You're dealing with a lot of levels. And each level requires a certain way that you apply the work. It also requires a lot of organization. Organization. A lot of discipline, right? A lot of problem solving. Because you're going to look at problems. When you're new, like in any trade, sure, you can figure out how to use the tools. But when you run into, say, a bad framing job, and you got to figure out how to make that look straight, right? You're giving things the illusion of flat and straight as a taper, right? Which is not a common thing to discuss. If you don't have experience in that, you're not going to be able to solve that problem that easily. And now you have to figure out, how am I going to take this problem solving and put it in their brain so they can fix this? And that's not an easy thing to do. And it's hard to teach that. In many ways, you learn that by yourself. Like I learned that by myself. No one taught me that. Like when I was helping my father, he never did renovations. It was all cookie cutter houses, subdivision or massive condos, right? So everything was new. So when I started doing the reno stuff, shit, I had to come across some really ugly, ugly plastered walls that I had to figure out what to do. It took many tries, but I got it done, right? So yeah, many variables to get a partner compared to a drywaller, for example. You always need two guys anyways. But a drywaller, if you have a big crew, you can put another crew in the same house upstairs, or in the basement, hey, do those two rooms. Guess what? The actual boss is not going to go and check on the work because it's, it's drywall. Unfortunately, that's what it is. It's just slapped on drywall. I, I would be a boardman. If, they, if I were to think about it, I would be a boardman because like the tape, the aesthetic is too much work. <laughs> it's too much detail. I would be so neurotic. I'd just be like in the closet sanding. For hours and like, yeah, nobody's going to see the closet, buddy. Like, oh, my bad. No, it's, yeah, we are a unique breed. We are definitely a unique breed. I'll tell you that. So, And I think there's things that don't get talked about or they do get talked about is you spend all this time training somebody 
for the reality of them eventually going out on their own. So it's, it's very hard for people to make that adjustment. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, they're like, I invested like three years and $20,000 into this guy. And now he's worked for me for five years and now he's gone. Well, you're investing. You had three years of training to get five years of productivity. It's a trade-off, right? And that personal nature of like, how dare they go on their own? Like, well, you would do the same thing. You did. Like, that's the business. Yeah, I think with all trades pretty much, right? I, I don't know if I told you, Vail, regarding the time that my father had a whole bunch of workers working for him, right? They were a mixture of Latin, Argentinians, Colombians, Good thing immigration didn't show up during this. <laughs> but, uh, Mexicans, you name it. Everybody was there. It was my dad and my uncle. I call him an uncle because I've known him all my life. He was He's Argentinian. And they had a crew of two Colombians, Uruguayans, Mexicans, you name it. A big crew of six to eight guys. But they noticed that every four to six months, a couple of them would leave. And they would pick up more because they would learn the basic of taping saying, Hey, you know what? If I go solo, I can make a lot better money. Right. So a lot of them would leave. So one time is a funny story. So my dad picked up two other guys. They were friends of theirs that are from Chile. And my dad and my dad's partner said, you know what? With these two guys, we're not going to teach him everything. We're going to teach one guy how to tape and we're going to teach <laughs> one guy how to run the boxes. So guess what? <laughs> they can't leave. But you know what happened? They partnered they just up. Partnered up. <laughs> yeah. So my dad's like, "Oh, you, we can't win." So, but it's part of the, it's 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 the nature of the business, right? So it's human nature, and it's not like that. It's not not like that everywhere else, right? We're in an era where you and I, like, how many of your friends who work in white collar jobs or civilians, as I call them spend 25 years at the same company, right? And in that kind of urban myth of like, oh, you work for yourself. No, I work for a lot of different people. Oh, you're your own boss. No, no, I'm not. (laughs) But again, you get in this business long enough, you develop a skill like you and I have, you then sell that skill on your own terms. Like you're about to go on vacation, right? No, definitely. And And that gives you the freedom to do, especially when you're on your own. I think I've always had that freedom. Even when I was a union, I've always had that freedom. I would, you know, give the heads up to the foreman and say, listen, I'm out of here for a month or so. Oh, okay. But they can't do much, right? Oh, man. Now, if you tell your contractor, I know some of the guys you work for, how did they react when you're like, yeah, I'm going to be gone for three months? They're like, what? Not so much. A lot of them, not so much. And the ones that did, I gave them a some recommendations, some referrals to guys that I know. Obviously they asked for it because they don't want to bring in new blood, not knowing what they're going to get. Right. So yeah, the freedom is big. And I, and I know uh, something that we were thinking about talking about, it's what are the perks of being a taper? I think it's that working for yourself is that freedom, right? It provides you when you get good at it, it provides you that financial independence if you're organized enough to say, I mean, you and I were talking about it at lunch the other day. You're like, yeah, I'm going to take off for three months. And if I was working a job for somebody, I couldn't do that. You know, I'm at a stage now where it's like, yeah, I'm going to work for three months. And then my wife's like, what are you going to do after that? I'm like, oh, I'll figure but, it out. you know what? 
a lot of people, I think majority of people, Bill, you know this too, would be afraid of that, would be afraid of that. But I, on the other hand, like you too, I would embrace that totally. I would embrace that. I think we talked about it earlier. We are in a place where the skills that you and I have, granted they are different skills, are so in demand. And the trajectory of our conversation is like, we've had decades of nobody training anyone. And here we are, the government of Ontario and Canada is going, oh, we have a labor shortage. And like, it's been 20 years we've been talking about it. And it's here. And now, how are you going to fix that? You're not going to fix that in a year. How long does it, and let's go back to what you talked about. From 12 to 22, you taped part-time and then you were finally able to go out. If you hadn't done it in that route, what do you think? You're three years of taping and then you could start doing your own gigs, right? Three, four, that's a big change. I know guys that are making four Gs a house and they're doing a house in a week. That's a lot of financial freedom. You know, granted, like you're not going to have a house every week. You're going to have holes. And if you don't manage your money properly, you're screwed. And that's another education piece for another conversation altogether, figuring out how much to charge and all that. But there is a ton of freedom if you can be disciplined and all of that. And the demand for the skill, I tell friends of mine, now that I'm not a contractor and they ask me questions, honestly, I'm like, dude, if you think renovations are expensive now, Two, three years, 15, 20% more because there's nobody to do it. Brad Hanna mentioned that as well, that the prices that we're charging now is actually a bargain what's going to happen in three to four years, 100%. Because the labor market, in terms of you and I, the skilled labor, we have include in. And then I would go and look on like Indeed every now and again because I left my company to pursue other things. And every now and again, I would go look on the internet at jobs and like jobs that were for carpenters that were like, oh, it's like 70 grand. Now they're offering 80 or 90 grand because wages hadn't moved in like a decade. So it's coming. Like even though materials have gone down post the plague, labor is going up. And if you're going to do a renovation or I I can't imagine what's going to happen to home builders who are going to be like, yeah, we're going to dig all these holes. Like, oh, there's nobody to frame them. I think it's, it's kind of just peeking its head now. And like you said, two, three years, it's perfect timing for an end of a young kid. He's got a bit of hunger. He's got a sparkle in his eyes and he wants to, (laughs) he wants to tackle the world of construction in general, not just taping. True, but I think the negative to that is there's no real pathway. It's really like when I got started 17 years ago, I went to George Brown and I took the renovation program after having gone to university and had a job and all of that. And because I had already had a degree, I went to see my instructor and I was like, I'm only going to school part-time. How do I get a job in renovation? He's like, just walk down to the hardware store and ask them who's hiring. And that's what I did. I walked, legit walked down to the local hardware. You know the the home hardware on Ossington in Toronto? I literally walked down there because I was living on Dovercourt. I walked down Portuguese neighborhood and I was like, do you know any contractors that are hiring? And they gave me three phone numbers. And the first one I called (laughs) hired me, having never seen me. But hey, that kind of concept still applies. There, there's a drywall store in Vaughan called the Drywall Tool Source. And the guy there, I gave him my number many times, many years ago. And every once in a while, 
he'll call me, Dennis, and he'll say, Stefano, I got somebody here for you that needs taping done. And every time I decline because I'm always swamped. So there are people there that go to a drywall store, not asking for work, but saying, hey, I have work. Do you know a taper? Yes, hold on. Here, call this guy, right? So it's kind of old schoolish kind of way of uh, communicating, but hey, it works. So yes, we, Well, my friend, you have a plane leaving on yeah. Saturday, correct? I want to wish you, you safe travels Definitely. and a good time. I'm looking forward to all 100%. your food posts. There'll be some taping posts. I will be dabbling in a bit of taping. I haven't posted anything. I haven't told you, have I? No. You're going on tour. Is this it? Is there, are you a rock band? Like you tape in other countries? <laughs> that it? Fat piece of shit touring the world. <laughs> no, I'm uh, helping out the in-laws. They're renovating their main floor of their house. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be a laborer actually. <laughs> no, I'm going to be, I put myself out there. There's, I go, Hey, perfect timing. I'm going there anyways. I'm going to help out whatever. I know there's a language bearer, but that's going to be gold, Jerry. You know how much material is going to be there <laughs> for the Instagram? Lack of communication, mixture of food, new tools, uh, new techniques. I'm telling you, stay tuned. Now I'm excited. Korean food slash construction mess. It's going to be wonderful. Sounds great. I always enjoy talking to Stefano and look forward to our next lunch date. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something as well. I know I did especially about why people will continue to be in the industry, even though it is high pressure and a lot of work. If you follow him on IG, he is exactly as his content shows. And I'm super grateful for him to be willing to be the first guest on his podcast journey into mud and dust. I guess that means lunch is on me next time. Please stay tuned for more content about what it's like to be in the drywall industry and people actually in the industry. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.